there is another dimension beyond that which is known to the business professional. It is a dimension not only of requirements, but of analysis. It is the middle ground between success and failure, between methodologies and beliefs, and lies between the valley of an organization's fears and the peak of its ability. This is the dimension of project potential. You have now crossed over into an area which we call business analysis. In this world of business analysis, we all walk the fine line between project success and failure. This is episode eight of BA Horror Stories. My name is David Manica. I'm the president at ASPE Training. Today I will be talking again with Mr. Roberto Snowden, a seasoned BA professional, and we're going to talk about the horrors that happen to BAs without strong professional skills. Mr. Rob, how you doing, sir? Doing great today. Thanks Tell for... the audience about your power outage situation. Well, about a week ago, a strong storm came through Virginia and knocked out, knocked over a bunch of trees and power and cable and everything has been out. Took us um, like six days to get power back, and then we just got back cable last night. Um, and inter- we were living in the dark ages. Exactly. It was like really going back in time. Now, we did have a gasoline generator, so we had the refrigerator going in a couple lights. But in general, your life is disrupted by having uh, extension cords running through the house. And uh, fortunately, after the um, storm, the humidity stayed low. So lucky. So we didn't have uh, – we couldn't run an AC, but didn't need an AC. So that worked out good. Did you cook in a fire pit? inside the house like the caveman not quite we hooked up the microwave oh very smart yeah so very good so yeah. we're going to talk about bas without strong professional skills and you know this topic is interesting i go out there and do a lot of presentations and when and as a training company i always joke to the people i'm presenting to that i can't sell soft skills training i could actually put beer free beer and assign next to a training class, and still nobody would show up to professional skills training. Hmm. And I guess really no one wants to go to their boss and say, hey, I need to take an emotional intelligence class, or hey, I want to learn more about how to deal with conflict better, because you kind of look like a bonehead, right, I guess. Is that some of the logic, you think? Yeah, it's sort of like you don't need to be trained on that. You just have it or you don't kind of thing. And there's always people that are jerky and people stay away from them, and there's people that are really obviously got people skills, but even if you got people skills, you still have to overcome how do you deal with upper management that are being forceful on their opinions in a meeting, and what do you do with someone who's resistive, and and you can't just charm them with chatting about their favorite subject. You still have to get, get through the issue, so it's professional skills thing is something that if you don't get training on, you just develop over years and years and years. Or you don't develop and you become yeah. like a weirdo in the company organization. Yeah, just just leave him in his cube and throw him some fresh meat once in a while, but don't communicate by email only. Like Milton, office space. <laughs> Where's my stapler? Oh, right, stapler. stapler. <laughs> so, it, so at the end of the day, I think it puts the requester. So I'm the requester. I'm looking for a professional skills class in some way. It puts you at a point of weakness because you're kind of admitting a weakness. And, and us people, we don't like to admit weaknesses. But I'm looking at it. The reality is more than ever, professional skills are needed and actually, better put, required for success specifically as a business analyst. So I was thinking about this podcast. I'm going, 
Now, what can we do? We've been doing this movie thing. We did the idiom things for a while. And so I really, really enjoyed a certain show. I was a youngster, but the show scared the crap out of me. My parents would watch it after Love Boat, and that was Fantasy Island. And since, you know, it's pretty much a fantasy of mine to get people to take professional skills training, I thought we would spin this episode around good old Fantasy Island. Then we had a big debate, because Rob's like, nobody knows what that is. Right, Rob? You said that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Is it even on reruns? I mean, do people that weren't of age then, were they even able to, other than a Jeopardy question about Oh, don't, don't give tattoo. it out yet. Don't get don't give out tattoo yet. Oh, we just we just spilled the beans. Well, I agree with you. It isn't on um, reruns. I don't think. At least maybe it is in some places. So I did a poll, and I did a poll, and I found out that it was age right around age thirty-eight to forty. If you're you're younger than thirty-eight, you had no earthly idea what I was talking about. If you're over age thirty-eight, you got it. So I figure our demographic has got to be people over 38 because that's what all the salary surveys and so forth tell me. So I don't feel too bad about talking about Fantasy Island. Do you? Okay. I guess you don't either. <laughs> you actually had to watch an episode, but you hadn't seen it. and I don't think you ever saw it. I, I saw bits and pieces of it, but I never watched it as a regular show kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I was able to you know go back on YouTube and, and go back in time and watch it and see what the, the deal was, watching a complete episode. So, And I actually went on Wikipedia and read more about it just to get a backstory as well. And the yeah. big fascination with me is I was scared of it because it was always scary. It's very, 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 very dark, scary story. And you had Love Boat, which is kind of nice, and then you go to Fantasy Island and... And the same concept, though, like Love Boat, you had three or four main characters, and then you had a bunch of recurring characters, and then you had a bunch of guest stars. You had, like, two main characters. So that's what we'll talk about. The backstory of Fantasy Island, one-hour drama with a very supernatural bent, two main characters, Mr. Rock and Tattoo. Good old Tattoo. The main catchphrase from the show was, the plane, the plane. Remember that? What are you going right. to say, Rob? I was going to just mimic what you said, the plane, the plane. You do, right. you do, you do it actually better than I do. And Tattoo... <laughs> That Tattoo would say that as a plane was coming down the land, the show centered on the fantasies of two or three guests played out on the island, okay? And as Rob and I were talking before this podcast, there was always something kludgy about the fantasy, and then they didn't quite get what they wanted, but they learned a lesson. So in some ways, getting professional skills helps you learn lessons. So now I'm getting my fantasy fulfilled because we're going to be discussing professional skills, training for business analysis. So I will be Mr. Rourke. Because I can pick that. And Rob, Rob is that seasoned and salty BA professional. He could be Tattoo. And we want to hear a great French accent from Rob. Or should I call you Robert? Because I guess Tattoo is French. Well, I don't do an accent Francais. I can only pity you with your American wishes and desires. Pardon moi, (laughs) as I stub out my French cigarette. These cigarettes are so strong that the warning on the side says, you now have cancer. (laughs) You're, you're about as snotty and snide as a typical French person. I shouldn't say that. Now I'm in That's trouble. the idea, isn't it? They just, I pity you Americans. I, yeah, piff, piff you. So <laughs> yeah, R- R- Ricardo is Spanish, but it's a tattoo, I believe. So Robert, since you're a tattoo, okay. question number one. And it only took us seven minutes to get to the questions. That's not bad. Right. What are the top two or three professional skills a BA must have to have long-term success and growth? Okay, well, the thing is, one is to be to easily and immediately connect with people, many different types of people. And it, there's the different types from 
quiet, to overbearing, to gregarious, to thoughtful, to data-driven, to all that, all those different types. Obnoxious. And there's people mention that, but yeah, obnoxious people too. And then, then there's the the pecking order thing, using an idiom. Um, Earlier, you said spilled beans, by the way. So that was and you said piece of cake in the company meeting today. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the thing is, is what about the you know, the pecking order, if someone is in a meeting and you know they're a senior vice president and now they said something that if they weren't, you could easily maneuver. But now you're you're rattled a little bit because of who they are and the power they wield or what you imagine, whatever it is. Like Thor so, with the hammer. Um, I got the hammer on you. Yeah. Yeah. So as a BA, you've got to be, uh, I guess you could say fearless or, or relaxed about talking or presenting with all levels and different kinds of people. And you want to be able to connect emotionally with them and, and you want them to see you as likable. Even if they don't don't agree with some of the things you say, they trust you and they see you as a conscientious person with a different point of view rather than a total jerk that just wants your own way kind of thing. Well, that's actually Even though that, I, I wanted to say two things yeah. on that, which is interesting. Number one, the presentation skills thing is interesting because you know that more people are afraid to present and communicate in a group than they are to die. That's crazy, but that's true. And number two, I always, when I see BAs out there and I hear issues, in a lot of cases the BA gets pigeonholed as being snide or snarky because of an expertise and they're not communicating that likability factor and building that trust factor like you're talking about. Yeah, well, in fact, what you just mentioned, um, I was talking to somebody at uh, ASPE that I just always have, I don't know her very well, but I thought she would be great doing a presentation. And I was asking her if she would mind doing something that were that I was thinking about conjuring up for, not not a podcast, but something like that. And she was completely, no, no, I get too rattled when I'm making presentations. I get too nervous. And I think, you're the most unnervous person that I would ever think. But, again, she's not standing up in front of people or doing stuff that, that puts her in that position. But then I found out, like you said, that some people would rather just die. It's like uh, naval aviators uh, say that I was watching a documentary. They would rather die in a crash on the flight deck than be waved off and uh, after you get really low on fuel and um, have to be diverted to a land base. They would just rather die crashing on the deck. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't quite get that. So I think we're both saying pretty loud and clear that presenting is difficult, but it's a critical area, and part of that is a likability factor. You've got you to gotta get people to trust you. Yeah, it's, not, yeah, it's presenting, and it's also just talking with people in small groups or even one-on-one. You want to be really comfortable and, and confident without being arrogant uh, or jerky or anything, just really likable. That's what it is. So that's one of the skills. Another one would be um, facilitation skills. And, and it um, don't necessarily mean you're running a meeting of 20 people. It's two people or one person or five people. It's being able to um, pull information out of people, you know, effectively mine knowledge. Because that's what a BA does. It, you don't know things, so you need to go to the people that do know whether it's the requirements or the ways to improve the process or what's in scope, what's not in scope, and what are all the millions of things you need to do. But how do you pull that information out of them? So it's all tricks and um, things to do as far as facilitation skills. And and then related to that, another another skill would be being able to ask the right questions. This is kind of in conjunction with facilitation, but the idea 
is that you don't ask, you ask a question that doesn't make them try to agree with you or not agree with you. It's sort of like saying, here's a current issue that we're, we're uh, dealing with. What are your thoughts on this topic? Rather than, what do you hate about this system? Or what do you like about the system? It's just, what are your thoughts? To get them talking so they are free to go either way. And then once they start talking, being able to follow up on questions and dive deeper. But it's getting to that target, whatever the target is, improving so, the process. So your questions yeah. have to be open-ended, but you've got to watch for emotional open-ended questions or you're going to go down rat holes. Yet another uh, idiom. That's right. Animal idiom. An animal <laughs> idiom. I like animals. It's very nice. You mentioned something yeah. in the write-up I'm reading here. Falsy is a Latin word for make easy. Oh, facil. Yeah, facil. that's the, uh, the the real root Latin word, which means to make easy. So facilitation is is making it easy for people to talk with you about things or to get to a, whatever your target is. So when you say facilitation, you think it's somebody standing up front and running a meeting, but it's really, on the other hand, we use the expression all the time, like I'm facilitating someone getting into the car with a baby. Well, you're making it easy for them to get in because you've opened the door and you put the seat all the way back and you help them put the seatbelt on. But it's it's making it easy for them. So that's that's the idea of facilitation. That's really I like that because it that's what it's all about. You're trying to get people to communicate. You're not trying to hog the platform. Right. It's all about them. I mean, it, the one thing the difference between um, in a way consulting or being an expert consultant is you are there to tell them how to do things because you're the expert on process improvement where facilitation is, it's all about them. What do they, you get them to, to realize what are the ways to improve their process? What are the things there that are bottlenecks, for example, helping them identify those? And then what, what are some ways we can get around that versus let me study this process and I will give you the recommendations. Pull it out of them, then they own it and they're more likely to be on board with it. Your voice is like magical. You're getting the birds like um, um, Snow White did when she was singing. The birds are coming. Magical voice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> is there a bird back there? There's a bird feeder right out the window. Oh, yeah. You can yeah, get... yeah. You're magical. Yeah. You're like Snow White. I'm going to call you Snow White from now on. So let's move yeah, on to question people... two. Wait. Some people just say I'm for the birds, maybe. <laughs> Another idiom. Uh, you're okay. for the birds. All right, so now we got to keep question number two clean because this question okay. can kind of go off the rails very quickly if you don't keep it clean. Tell us a story of when you wanted to be on BA Fantasy Island. What would your BA Fantasy be, and what skills would you need? Now, you must keep this clean. Okay. The thing, as I mentioned earlier about the skills of being able to connect with people and how to, um, I guess, maneuver your way through the various pitfalls of dealing with people that are at different levels or different types of people, they're hard-boiled or whatever, is it takes so long to get that skill. I mean, to, I mean, one thing with, with my background is that I, I've had, I had jobs in college and all where I, where I had to deal with all different levels of people. I mean, most people do, whether you're a waiter or a waitress or driving a Coke truck or Coca-Cola truck, that is. And, um, meeting different kinds of people. But the more you have to work with different types of people, the, the better unconsciously you develop that skill. But when you get into a, the corporate world, it's not quite that, that same thing. And um, it takes so long to get good at that. And 
I would have wished if I could go to Fantasy Island to get somebody that could help me with that on a regular basis. One is to get get training about here are some tips and tricks and things to do, but I also like to have somebody who could be my guardian angel that could I could de- talk with confidentially or on a regular basis to say, gee, I just had this this situation. I don't think I did very well on it. What do you recommend? Now, so I guess my someone, but if someone's an atheist, so they wouldn't have a guardian angel. What would they have? Yavol mein Führer. I will take care of it. I will take care of him. No, I don't know. Um, I'm only joking. But it was just yeah. a colloquial expression. I didn't mean to be religious on that. Yeah, you gotta watch out. You would have a uh, a mentor. Okay, a mentor is what you want. And of course, on Fantasy Island, the problem might be that you're looking for a mentor to help you, and they end up being a tour mentor yep. where they're trying to run your life and telling you things that now you wish they would just back off. So. Isn't that funny how that happens? That's exactly what happens on Fantasy Island. It's, it is and it isn't what you always wanted. Or else you always yep. wanted something that's stupid, and, and then Mr. Rourke shows you why it's stupid. Right. So, I mean, everybody says they want a mentor. Um, they do, and, and maybe by happenstance or accident, you don't get officially assigned a, a mentor but you end up having someone you can collaborate with, whether it's even a peer that I can, you can run things by, and they're actually mentoring you on a particular thing that they're good at and you're not, and you can reciprocate with them. So, um, you know, what I sort of imagine is, is having somebody that would be the quintessential dad on those old TV shows like uh, My Three Sons, you know, Fred McMurray, or, um, you know, there were all kinds of, uh, shows back then, even though the typical of society was the family unit, there were so many of those shows that there was the mother was out of the picture, like Bonanza. Three yeah. sons, they don't look alike because Ben Cartwright had three different wives that all died. That, that's suspicious. But he was the. <laughs> that's extremely suspicious. Really? What's up with that? I, I wouldn't so, even watch a show just because of that. You're showing your yeah, age by your choice of shows. When I think of the quintessential I dad, I think of Al Bundy, Homer, and Peter Griffin. <laughs> no, but it's the idea that there are always these these guys that are the dads are just well, son. Let me explain it to you. Here's well, how you, you grill a chicken. I got to interrupt you because I got the perfect fantasy for you. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to go to Fantasy Island. Mr. Rourke's going to come and say, "I want the quintessential mentor." You're going to go into a black and white TV show, and poof, there's Homer tormenting you. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> just remember, well, I can't do Homer, but I remember one of the things he said is. Just remember, son, this is the worst day of your life so far. <laughs> so that's the kind of mentoring I would get, probably. Oh, man, but the, I agree with you. It's, that, that's an interesting thing to look at. And I hear a lot of, of BAs when I go out there in the marketplace talk about wanting a mentor and then struggling with figuring out how to get one. And I always give a, a few suggestions. I go, number one, you want to make sure it's somebody outside your departmental group, but it could be a leader within another division of the company. Uh, number two, don't be scared to ask for a mentor because a lot of times it's very flattering for someone to be asked to be a mentor. And three, oh, yeah. you got to be able to take responsibility for that relationship, meaning you're the one that has to drive it. You're the one that has to set the, the schedule up, and then you should pay. You don't have to take them to a fancy restaurant, but you should be the one paying for the coffee or whatever small small diner meal you have together, and it should be consistent. And the moment you feel uncomfortable, you should walk away from that relationship because it's the, a mentor-mentoree relationship is not a coaching engagement. 
It's something that is more relationship-oriented and more like a sounding board. So sorry, I went on my pulpit there after I talked about Homer. Pulpit? That's religious again? That's very religious. Another religious idiom. So let's go on to question three. We'll probably have time for just the third question, but I, I like this question. So tell us what professional skill you would wish for if Mr. Rourke offered. Tell us a story where you really screwed up because you didn't have that skill. So start with the screw-up. I got the horrors of lacking professional skills of what this is all about. Okay, so after I got pretty good at facilitation, one of the things I learned is how to do, do strategic planning, and I'd been doing it at a lower level uh, for a department. Where do they want to go? What's standing in the way? And what, what um, actions do they need to put in place to overcome those things that are standing in the way? But I thought, gee, I could do this at a bigger level. I'm going to get an uh, appointment with the CEO that I knew in passing, like, hey, how you doing, Ron, in the, um, yep. the hallway. But I didn't know him or have any relationship from a business point of view. So I went in there, had a half an hour meeting, and the, the, the object was for me to explain with a diagram how the strategic planning thing worked in that my view with, with him was like, how about if the executive level – come up with the vision like they're supposed to do. But everything else is you have all the people that have to implement that vision. Well, not everybody, but 20 or 30 people who are helping understand, like, here's where you want to go. Well, here's what's standing in the way. We're down in the trenches a lot more. We'll be able to see it a lot better. And then here's the actions we need to put in place. And he listened patiently to me. Then he, he actually said, well, why would I want to do this? I've got an MBA. And I was like flabbergasted. It was like, I didn't even know what to say because I felt like he was saying, you know, well, to use a current politician, I've got a good brain. I got a great brain. I make fantastic plans. But the reality was, you know, there's in any large company, plans come down and you're thinking, who thought of this? We got so many things to overcome to make this happen. So what I wish I was able to say is that it would be to your advantage to have the people that have to actually implement this, be a part of putting together the plans to achieve the vision you want to go to. How can we work this out? You guys are still in charge of the vision, but you know we could have the worker bees figure everything else out and own it. But I couldn't. I was just so, I use that word rattled again, but it was like I, I was flabbergasted that you've got an MBA. I guess you learned everything about everything possible. And by the way, he got his MBA maybe 20 years ago. Maybe there were a few things that came up since then that's right but still it was like i've gone to school so i know the answer or i've got an advanced degree i know the answer and it's but the issue was i didn't have a good i wasn't armed well to to be able to convey this in a positive way rather than say you freaking jerk why do you treat people like this yeah i'm leaving i'm out of here you know of course i wouldn't say that but that's what was running through my head like i can't believe this guy well i think the thing there is it becomes an it becomes a scenario where you start looking at talking about it through his lens and almost leading, having the professional skills to influence him. Like in this scenario, I would say he had a form of cognitive bias and the fact that he only wanted to hear the things that he knew. So you had to figure out a way to have the skills to influence him in the way that he would be able to feel more comfortable with it. But that takes professional skills. That takes the art of influence. That takes the understanding of cognitive dissidence and those issues associated with it. I'll give you an example I had is that I was okay. a really young professional and our company was going through some changes and we had a consultant come in and it was a management consultant and he was talking to everybody. Man, I sat in that room and just espoused for like an hour and a half. 
And now I look back at what I was espousing on and realizing how immature my visibility in the business was then based on what I know now related to the, the intricacies of running a business, cash flow issues, you know, dealing with making capital investment decisions. And, you know, there could have been so many other things I could have done better back then, but I just didn't have a detailed enough professional skill understanding to know my place and what I should say and how I should say it and present it so that it would seem as credible because then they just water down and they don't think you're credible because you're espousing things that don't quite fit. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's being able to see yourself from the ex- external, how you come across. And um, in, when you're new or newer or younger, you don't have, you know, we're going to change the world. You know, I'm going to sp- say my piece, but then you've got to know how to influence people without making your own persona look bad. Yes. So you've got to be yes. likable. <laughs> But that's kind of soft, but at the end, of the, I get what you're saying. That the key is you have to present yourself with a level of authenticity without being a, a doofus, right? Without looking like you're immature, without looking like you're you didn't think through it appropriately, and that's usually driving it through their filter, the filter of the other person, and that's challenging. And that takes skill. And I always call it, the, you know, the funny: the younger you are, the more you're looking at the forest and wanting to change the world. And I always mm-hmm. say influence happens at the tree level. You look at each tree. You understand that type of tree and you influence that tree and then you'll get to the forest. You know, it's almost like you got to look at it from another. You got to go backwards instead of forwards, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Well, man, we've done a lot of babble, not as not as zany as we've been in the past, but um, still yeah. good. I'm still getting over the whole Burt exit situation. I'm all frustrated because now the markets are going crappy and that stinks. So I'm a little down oh, about yeah. that. But that's life, right? Yeah. Anything you want to say, Mr. Roberto, on this topic of professional skills and the horrors of having poor professional skills before we sign off? No, we've already said it, but it's just it's so important to have that ability. And people that have that ability do excel in whatever their profession is. And uh, some people naturally have it. Other people have to um, acquire it. And it helps you in anything other than if you're sitting in your cube all day and just coding or keying but even then you need to deal with people eventually so that's it the world is a- going to people interaction i mean i can hire somebody in another country to code and do it cheaper than here but if you have the skills not only to code and to come up with solutions but to communicate those solutions and push an idea into execution that's all the value that's where you make the money so i think exactly. we've done a good job with this one my friend so let me close okay. this thing out are you okay with me closing it out yes i am Thank you, thank you very your, much. Uh, thank you for your time because I know you're busy. If you would like to learn more <laughs> about solutions, tools, and techniques for successful business analysis in a convenient setting, then we have something for you. You can visit our website, ASPETraining.com, for information on our upcoming business analysis masterclass series that now starts in October. Our first one was a rousing success. 77 professionals signed up for it. It worked out great. 20 Short courses, averaging three not averaging three hours per course, and you also get access to the recorded sessions if you miss it. So thank you for listening. My name is David Manica. This has been another episode of BA Horror Stories with uh, my co-presenter, Mr. Rob Snowden. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, David. All right. Have a great time. See you later, folks. Thank you for listening to ASPE's BA Horror Stories. Until next time.